Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Best Fit Body Podcast. I am Elle, one of your hosts, and I have with me my co-host, the amazing, talented, knowledgeable Julie Chaplow. And today we're going to talk about fat loss and cardio. Hi, everybody. This is Jules here. I am super pumped to talk about a topic that we probably get more questions on a daily, weekly, monthly basis from our clients as well as people out there in general. It seems like as soon as I let somebody know I'm a trainer, I am absolutely pummeled with a thousand cardio questions. So I'm glad to have a time to talk about it all at once. I feel like the first question that I get asked anytime someone stops me in the gym or just anywhere and they find out that I am really into fitness, they're like, well, how long do you spend in the gym? And like, I'm sure that anybody listening has gotten that question when someone sees that you're pretty fit. They're like, well, how much time do you spend in the gym? And you, you want to be like an hour, hour and a half. Most people who are doing fitness, you know, kind of a healthy and sustainable way, are not spending hours and hours in the gym and they're not slaving over a treadmill or anything like that. So I feel like this is a good topic for us to talk about for anybody that is even themselves needing a little reassurance that they're doing the right thing, or even if they want to send over this information to somebody else, like a friend or a family member that has some sort of misconception on cardio and fat loss. Absolutely. I think that's a great idea to share it because it will save you trying to explain it (laughs) because we're going to try to do it all in one place. But I just want to say, I know the past month we were a little quiet on our podcast. We had a very, very busy August. So with the fall, just like so many people getting back into routine, we're going to be getting back into routine with our podcast. So I'm happy to have this one really literally be a kickoff for this fall. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else that we kind of want to go over before we start, let everybody know anything that's going on or what's going on with you? What's going on with you? Anything like personal that you're focusing on or? Me personally? Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, I think and when you were giving your little intro about this podcast, I was thinking about the fact that when I'm asked the question about how long do I train, you know, my first response is, well, it depends on what my goals are. So yeah, thanks for asking. And my goals actually currently, I guess, short term, long term is I am throwing my hat in the ring for a fall competition. It's exciting and daunting, just like anybody else, but it's been a year and I am going to step on stage as as a bikini competitor. (laughs) Those that don't know, Jules has competed in both figure and bikini throughout the years. And she really has found her love for figure training. And even last year, her and I went back and forth a little bit on whether she would train for figure or bikini. And bikini is a little bit more out of her comfort zone. So for anybody else that's thinking about competing and loves the way that the, you know, bikini girls look, but feel like they don't have like that bikini girl swagger type deal is that that can always be created. And I think that the hard thing is that if you feel like you don't have that personality for a bikini girl, I think sometimes something can get in the way of you trying. And so for Jules, we went through some posing as a bikini girl, just like two weeks ago, I I ran through some posing with her 
And she was automatically, once she kind of let her guard down, she was able to act and feel and look like a bikini girl. And so I just want anybody who's considering trying anything new is that don't let fear of feeling a little uncomfortable or feeling a little bit awkward to get in the way of you trying something that you really think that you could enjoy. So it's going to be really cool to see Jules as a bikini competitor because I've been dying to get her up there. She's like, I don't know about the posing for bikini anymore. I'm like, come on, I got you. I'll help you. (laughs) Well, yes, thank you, Ellen. I did compete in bikini in a couple of federations, but a good nine years ago, and the posing style has changed. And so I think that's very much what I can instruct it because I have you know, the eye for as a judge and as a coach. But when you have to internalize it, and this is why it's so important that you hire a coach, that you have somebody there who's going to say, hey, you know what, do this or, you know, give you the guidance. So enough about me. How about you? What's on the horizon? The horizon for me is, well, man, so much has been going on. I am, I'm just a creature of change. Although I love my habits and I love my routine, I do not know how to sit still. And so a lot's been going on. I've done a lot of traveling this summer out to Chicago and, you know, kind of deciding. (laughs) Yeah, I was out in San Diego, but Chicago like three times this summer, just booked a flight this morning to go back in November (laughs) to go see a podcast that a, a friend of a friend and client of mine both love. So I've been back and forth traveling a lot. I spent the whole summer still doing my fitness thing, taking a break from tracking and kind of like being right on top of nutrition. I just gave myself a little break pretty much like the whole year. And initially I had thought that that I would take the full year off from competing. But when I got home from my last trip from Chicago, I felt inspired and I said, hey, I'm 12 weeks out to the end of the season. Let's dive into a prep. So not only is Jules competing, I'm also competing. And we're going to be competing at the same show. So that's going to be pretty fun. That's my goal for right now. Kind of in the kind of keeping me busy until I decide to make the move out to Chicago. So it's a little placeholder and something fun for me to focus on while I let time go on, trying not to rush anything. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing. You know, fitness, if you are interested in keeping your health and fitness on track. There's going to be ebbs and flows and neither are good or bad. They're just ebbs and flows. So there are going to be times where you really have a hard set deadline for a goal to be accomplished and other times where it is just literally pacing. And I think we can make this jump if you're ready to write into cardio on this, because this is really where I think as a coach and as a trainer, I make my recommendations for a client on cardio based on sort of the ebbs and flows of where they are in their their goals and, and where their body is and their fitness is. Anything you want to add on to anything before we kind of get into a little bit of the meat and potatoes? Because I know we could probably chit chat about our, our exciting goals for like an hour, but people have come here for a little bit of fat. Let's just do that. <laughs> Let's just talk about ourselves the whole time. Okay. <laughs> Let's make it about us. Yeah, I think we can definitely jump in, but I do want to just say right off the bat that cardio is a tool for fat loss. It's not what's going to make you lose fat if everything else is not in place. So we're definitely going to talk about specifics and, you know, how to make cardio work to your advantage. But right away, I want you to start getting into your head that doing more cardio and 
being like cardio, cardio, cardio is not the only thing that will get you into the shape that you like, unless you're working on endurance for an ultra marathon, just about like 50 or hundred miles of running, doing more cardio is not necessarily better. So yeah, Jules, go ahead. Talk about your cardio history and, and some yeah. other facts that she's got for you guys. Yeah, well, so I just want to take some people on a little bit of a really quick little historical thing. The term cardio really is short for cardiovascular training. It's one aspect of conditioning, fitness. And so, you know, many, many, many years ago, when people were really starting to look at the fact that, you know, we needed to do something to improve our health and fitness because, you know, way back people didn't have to get on a machine or make a point of doing something to really focus in on improving their fitness. They just did the tasks of life. So as people got more sedentary, you know, we do know that there are disease states or health conditions that will have an effect on our lives if we don't take control. And so much research was done very early on on the the heart-lung circulatory system response when you did repetitive action activity, which is basically what cardio is. It's how your body responds with your heart rate changing, which means there's more circulating blood bringing oxygen to your lungs and to your muscles for work. For your body to work. So it is one of those things. You work your body, your body needs more blood and more oxygen. So the heart has to pump, you have to breathe heavier. So that's just what cardio is. So then what they discovered early on was that this type of work caused people to expend energy. So that would mean if they didn't take all that food in to replace it, and they expended more energy, then they could lose weight. So since a lot of health issues are compounded later on as people get older by excessive weight gain, having cardiovascular activity became the recommendation. Now, at the very beginning, you know, it was like, oh, just, you know, move or, and that's where things sprung up like walking and running and maybe jazzercise or exercise classes to get your body moving so that you could expend energy so you could lose weight. And as more and more and more research came up, then of course it became marketable and more and more pieces of equipment became available. And as the research came into it, they really began to discover that the human body responded in different ways based on the different types of force exerted on it. So, you know, the difference between walking versus running, the difference between stepping upstairs versus jumping up, on a stair. So the different levels of intensity would cause a different response. So then what happened was that people were looking for more specific information and how they could apply those pieces of information to their lives to help them achieve their goals either faster or better or more effectively. You know, it's sort of a combination, faster, better, effectively. And so then what coaches and personal trainers did was start to categorize different types of cardiovascular activity to say, you do it this way and you're going to have this result. You're going to do it this way. You're going to have this result. And so that's where we started to talk about things a little bit more in terminology of what people are a little more interested or aware of, I should say, when we talk about high intensity interval training hit versus steady state, versus low intensity interval training, versus 
a medium inter, you know, so there's all these new definitions when, you know, 30 years ago, it was just like, just get out there and, and move. And then as people started to realize that any of those different types of activities was going to cause their body to respond in a different way, we wanted to be a little more manipulative. So I'm just sort of giving you an overview. It's like, People who are just getting started in the health and fitness industry, they may just have this idea that, oh, everybody's always done HIT or this or this, you know, for centuries. Well, no. I mean, <laughs> when I first started teaching aerobics, we used to teach people how to take their pulse with their fingers to do their heart rate because we did at that time started to tell people to train according to different training zones. And a lot of those factors have stuck around for a lot of, of years, but that's the scientific aspect of it. So for somebody who really wants to delve into doing something with specific focus and a plan versus somebody who just needs to lose some weight and just any activity is going to get them to burn calories. Anything you want to add there before I carry on? No, I just want to say that keeping track of your heart rate is something that has been used for years and years in terms of exercise. And one thing that if you are new to exercise, getting a heart rate monitor is probably one of the most beneficial tools that you can get. So you can just begin to understand the zones that your heart rate is in and how hard your body's actually working. Because someone who is not in the best shape or getting back into exercise, their heart rate may shoot up very quickly and take a long time to come back down. And so if you are working out in a group or maybe in like a, a group X type of deal, sometimes pushing yourself more is not always better just because you're trying to keep up with everybody else. That's where the individualized training and awareness of your own body will really help you to maximize your time in the gym. And so if you're able to, yeah, keep up with a group training maybe, but also keep an eye on your heart rate, you'll be able to really make the most out of each one of your sessions. Exactly. And I want to delve into, thanks for actually bringing up the heart rate monitor, because I do want to talk actually significantly about this because a heart rate monitor definitely can give you insight on what's happening in your body, the cardiovascular response, more so than maybe it's the first time that I'm going to use the example of a spin class. And if you've never taken a spin class before, but maybe you're in good condition, your quads may poop out before your cardiovascularly are responding if you're in really good condition versus somebody who just can get on that spin bike for the first time, never exercised and just pushes and their heart rate just soars. So it is a good way to know what's going on inside your body. And the more that you utilize an external cue, you can start to learn about the internal cues. So you can become a little bit more effective and efficient at doing something called a perceived exertion. So for the times that you do not have a heart rate monitor available, or you choose not to do it, you can still get an idea of, am I really pushing myself? Am I not? But I do want to take a, a little step back from the heart, from the concept to talk specifically about heart rate monitors, because I have to say, as a person in the fitness industry, one of the big things that I will hear often is that people will tell me, well, you know, I'm only burning X number of calories according to my heart rate monitor, or my heart rate never seems to go up according to my heart rate monitor. And one of the big things I ask is, are you wearing a heart rate monitor that has a chest strap versus a heart rate monitor that is on your wrist? And I wish the heart rate monitors on the wrist were way better than they are, but nothing beats that heart rate monitor across your chest. 
And they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they're far better than the wrist ones because the wrist ones, when you think about it, if you have a lot of wrist movement, they're going to slip and slide. I don't know about you, but when I do cardio, my wrists get sweaty. <laughs> and so I find that they're, and I have a kind of a, a, a square wrist. So the heart rate monitors, I have had the Fitbit and I have an Apple watch and I've tested a couple of other brands and they are not at all what then I go ahead and check my heart rate monitor, either using my fingers on my pulse, because I've been doing that for years, or the monitor with the chest strap. And the same thing with trying to use the machine handhelds. Those also, your hands get sweaty. You have to hold super still, but if you hold super still, then you're probably controlling your motion. So if you really want to use a heart rate monitor and have it be a little more accurate, go with that strap. Some people hate the strap. I just tuck it under my sports bra and I'm like, I'm good to go. And you forget about it, but it, it will be a lot more accurate than using a Fitbit or an Apple watch. Yeah. Anytime anyone says, well, I have a Fitbit or I have an Apple watch. I'm like, so <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's nice. That's they're great. great for, yeah. They're great for lots of other things. Yeah. Yeah, they're good for steps. I love my Fitbit when I'm trying to get maybe my daily activity up because the we talk about this now, but adding in some more neat, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is just another function of the body burning calories. Usually if you are in a fat loss phase and or a dieting phase, sometimes you are a little bit more tired. So you fidget a little bit less, you move a little bit less. And so if you are trying to ensure that you're still moving around enough, a Fitbit is great or an Apple watch, even that stand goal. So if you're not hitting your standing goal and because you've been on the couch all day, it's a great way to incorporate a little cardio that isn't cardio from actually doing cardio, like on a machine or or some sort of workout. But yeah, with the heart rate monitors, they are a really awesome tool. But I do find that if you do wear the strap and you do treadmill workout that has heart rate sensors, it actually will pick up on your heart rate strap and it will read it on the machine that you're using if it's an updated machine. But I also found that some of the treadmills, if they do have heart rate sensors, if I'm doing sprints and I hop off and I grab onto those sensors during my rest period in between sprints, it picks up my heart rate perfectly. Definitely depends on the machine that you're using, but they can be really beneficial because my, when I sprint, I hop off sometimes, like I know my heart rate's like 179 and it reads it beautifully and it, it drops down and it, it's pretty good. So that's really beneficial, but it's not, you don't want to be holding on while you're running. Like if you're actively running, trying to do steady state. So Joe's made a good point there. Yeah, exactly. And some machines at gyms will pick up your neighbor's heart rate monitor. So you do have to be careful. I mean, if you're working out alone and you have, you know, relatively new cardio machines and yours does sync, that's the thing. The best thing is use your own, rely on your own. And it's kind of cool to see if it matches other things, but sometimes there's interference and it's not perfect. It's by far not perfect. Even taking your own pulse, you know, when we used to do the aerobics, we'd take, you know, 15 second breaks and people would have to find their pulse. We'd count for 10. But in that time, a very 
a highly conditioned athlete, as soon as you stop, your heart rate's going to start to drop. And so, you know, these are goal numbers. Your heart rate zones are goal numbers, but they are things that they're targets to hit if you're training specifically. So I want to go into, unless there's anything else you want to add about the heart rate monitor, because we're going to refer back to that. I want to talk about the different styles of cardiovascular, the different training techniques, so you can get a little overview about it. I want to talk a little bit about how I use them for my clients, for our clients on Team Best Fit Body, for training purposes, for goals. And then I do want to wrap up at the end with some myths and things, so you can kind of see where I'm going on this. So the first thing is I want to talk about common terminology that's used with cardiovascular training or cardio. And, you know, it's funny, this is 2018. And I have a feeling we're going to fast forward two or three, four, five years and terminology may be different because we're discovering more and more information about it. So probably the most common one that I, we talk about is a steady state cardio. And that's where you are training within a steady level. Now you can have a steady state cardio that will still go between, you know, a little higher and a little lower, but it is an average. And it's basically a type of activity that's going to keep your cardiovascular system, your heart and your lungs pumping and your heart rate relatively on a steady level. Now there can be steady state that you're working at a a low level, Okay. There can be steady state that you're working at a very high intensity level. So steady state can be done for different situations. And so it's great for training for endurance. It's great for burning up some excessive calories. It is a great baseline training for somebody who is not conditioned or may have, believe it or not, health situations where they are on a medication and there are many medications out there that actually will suppress heart rate. So people who might be on certain blood pressure medications, beta blockers may never be able to get their heart rate up no matter how hard they're working because that's the effect of the medication. So a steady state, just remember that it just means steady. Okay. Many of us have seen people who are at the gym, you know, on the treadmill and they'll be on the treadmill for an hour and they just can easy breezy do it. And that is a steady state, maybe at a low intensity. So again, there is a time and a purpose for it. And sometimes we just use it even in our training because we're recovering from an injury, but we want to keep a baseline of our cardiovascular training going. There are times where we are working on maybe putting people in a caloric surplus, but because they're, they need to gain some weight and for whatever their goals are. And so we might want them to do some steady state cardio because we want to keep their cardiovascular and endurance level. It's an important factor for life. Okay. So that's the first one, steady state. So when people say, well, you know, I go to the gym and I spend an hour doing cardio, I often will say, well, tell me a little bit about how you are doing for your cardio. An hour, you could do steady state, most people for an hour. It's not so hard. Then we start to talk about other types of cardio and they're based on how your heart rate responds to it. The next most commonly talked about one is HIT or H-I-I-T, high intensity interval training. The key word here is actually the interval. And everybody knows what high is. It's like push as hard as you can. Intensity, yeah, we get the idea because that's part of the high, you know, the intensity. And the T we know is the training, but the interval is the, is the very, very important point here. Now, there's a million different ways that you can do high intensity interval training. And 
each choice that you make doing for that interval, which just means length of time, will have a different effect. So the way that I use it is to guide my clients who are working on most commonly is reducing their body fat level or improving their lean muscle tissue to body fat ratio. So we find, and a lot of research has found that you can do, it's almost like more with less if you use high intensity interval training appropriately. And this is where the science behind this whole thing just totally fascinates me. Because if you're wearing that heart rate monitor, and you can do an activity that pushes your heart rate above a certain zone, and then you allow yourself to come down to full recovery. And I'm not talking about total resting heart rate recovery, but pretty much, you know, sort of a what you were at the early part of your workout. And then you as soon as you hit that recovery, push way back up and do that for a certain number of intervals. We do know that it can actually spike some hormonal levels in your body to help you utilize body fat as an energy source beyond the time that you are actually doing the training. So this is where the high intensity interval training has gained its popularity for people because you do basically it's a push and then a recovery. There are people who will use high intensity interval training and they will do it by time factors. And that is another way to do it. And I definitely use that sort of a time sequence. But for some people, a time sequence does not fall into enough time to either get the heart rate all the way up and I use the guideline of above 85% to 92%, and I'm not getting into the, the details of that right now, but then the recovery down to 60%. If you go by time, it might not be enough time. Real quick, though, I think you should explain that 80% because most people won't understand what that's in reference to. Talk about the heart rate zones real quick. So the heart rate zones, and these are these are based on so much study through the years and, and, you know, the guidelines for the percentages hasn't, you know, this changed a little bit. Basically what it is based on is knowing that the human body having the heart beat at a certain rate is going to provide that training effect. So the science has found that 220 beats per minute should be your absolute cardiovascular max, okay, where your heart rate is beating, that's called the 100% maximum effort. It is not at all, at all a safe place to be. So if you are hitting 220 during your training, you need to pull back because 220 beats per minute is a potential danger zone for putting too much stress on the cardiac muscle. So what they have found was studying the cardiovascular effects, there is a zone of optimal training. And there are different effects that happen in different zones. So up to 85% is the zone that we know that your body is aerobic, which is meaning that you're using oxygen as your primary energy source. When you go above 85%, we push into something called anaerobic, which means without air. And this is where that fat oxidization is triggered. So that's why we push up to that higher end. But then we hit that danger zone. And I set the top at 92% for my clients. So what? how do you figure what your percentage is? 
you take 220 and that's the maximum heart rate. But then we have to adjust for your age because a younger person's heart can endure more beats per minute without damage than an older person. So as you get older, your age-adjusted maximum heart rate will start to go down. So if you have somebody who is 20 years old, 220 minus 20 is 200 as your age-adjusted maximum heart rate. But you have somebody like me who is 58, I take 220 minus 58, and that becomes my age-adjusted maximum heart rate. So then that percentage is taken from there. So let's take that 20-year-old whose maximum heart rate is now 200. And we do 85%. Elle, can you quickly do that math for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm too busy talking to well, 85, math. Uh, 85. So 170 would be for a 20-year-old to hit 85% of their maximum age-adjusted heart rate. So that would be where they go from aerobic to anaerobic. And when we're doing high-intensity interval training, we want to push you slightly above into that anaerobic phase, and then we recover. So then we have the bottom range where we say, well, where is, what does my heart rate have to do so I can get into that anaerobic training zone? And that is for most people, 65% of that age adjusted. So if we have that 20 year old, it's 220 minus 20, which is 200 times 65 130. So 130. So a 20-year-old's training zone for cardiovascular aerobic training would be, what did you say, 130 through? 130 is the 65%. Right. So that person's aerobic training or cardiovascular training zone for fat burning and calorie burning is that zone. So we utilize those fringe ends in our intervals. So I will instruct my clients to push past 85 as soon as they hit it, come down, go down below 65. As soon as they hit it, they build back up. That would mean just real quick to put it into perspective. So say your coach or we instruct our clients to do either rounds or number of rounds or number of time. So say we gave you 10 rounds of hit. And so that would mean that, you know, you'd warm up, we'd give you about like a five to 10 minute warm up. And then you would start working and you would work for however long it takes you to reach at least 170 beats per minute or higher. And once you hit that, that's when you can go to walking or complete rest. I never sit down, but stop the activity until the heart rate gets to 130, which is when you would want to start working again, working back up. Yeah. So you kind of work in those zones. And so you would do that 10 times if there that was 10 times for the amount of rounds that you were instructed to do. So hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Yes. And so what a, a lot of times people who wear their heart rate monitor, they might turn back and say, you know, I did 25 minutes of my HIIT training and I didn't burn quite as many calories as I did 25 minutes of my steady state. Now, the difference here is in a steady state, you're, you know, you're pushing consistently. So your caloric expenditure is just is pushed out at that level. In a hit, you may, depending on, you know, your level of conditioning, depending on the activity you're doing, it, you may actually in that period of time burn fewer calories, but your metabolic system is going to be pushed 
so that it will continue to burn more calories later on. And one other beauty of HIIT training is your time that you're actually working is often perceived as being less because it is, but your time that your body is working is during the entire time, unless you take very long to recover and you just sit down and forget you should be pushing onto your next integral. But you have a lot of ability here to listen to your body as well and allow there may be times where your heart rate goes way up really fast and times where your heart rate takes a longer time to come down. So it is wonderful, I find, for longevity, for especially people who are athletic and have big athletic goals, because the wear and tear on your joints and your muscles and your bones, especially with the activities we often do for cardio, such as running or sprints or rowing, is less in time. And you do, you know, I'm just telling you from my experience, all the years that I taught high impact aerobics, that that wear and tear adds up over time. Whereas an interval type of training can give you profound results with less physiological stress. So it can be an amazing thing. And what you can get done in maybe 20 to 30 minutes really can have more of an effect than spending that hour on that treadmill. Speaking of the wear and tear on your body, especially someone who is in more serious fat loss phase, whether it's for a photo shoot, a wedding, a competition, it definitely towards the end when food gets a little bit lower and your energy is just not as great, uh, you're also at a higher risk of injury. The beauty of training with the heart rate zones versus rounds as you get closer and closer is that you are able to listen to your body and still make the most out of the training, even if your rest is a little bit longer because your heart rate takes longer to come back down. By paying attention to the zones, your heart rate zones, you will still be working as hard for the, I guess, where like your new maintenance level of your your body and your body's ability as you get closer and closer to your end date. So that's why the heart rate zones are much better to pay attention to, especially for HIT. And you can decide that you want to use a lower impact machine, even an elliptical, if you're able to get your heart rate zones by doing something low impact like that, you can still be doing your HIIT training, which I I often hear a lot of people take HIIT out completely the last few weeks of, of something, but it just may be because they're not utilizing the right thing. You may not want to be sprinting, you know, two weeks out from a show if your body is not recovering quick enough. But if you're able to still do high intensity interval training on a spin bike, which is a really great way to do it that is low impact, you won't have to worry as much about injury. Exactly. And remember, it this is not necessarily the activity that you're doing, but the response in your body. So I, for one, I have some arthritis and things going on in my hip, and I have not been able to do high impact stuff for years. And so my HIIT training, I do a lot of jumping on and off of machines. I'll do kettlebell swings. I'll do ropes. I'll do mountain climbers. All of those things cause my body to give me the cardiovascular result of getting my heart rate up into that 85 to 92% without having to even be on a machine. So don't think that you have to you know, it's movement, it is moving your body. And, you know, the more muscle engagement you can recruit, 
if you cannot do the impact stuff, you're still getting, you're getting more bang for your buck. So high intensity interval can be very, very important. And especially for those who don't take any performance enhancement products, you have to just literally blood, sweat, and tears your way to, to your physique that, you know, using the hit in shorter bursts can be much more effective. The frequency of doing hit again, there is a point of diminishing returns. So this is where, you know, we move into the other types of cardio, which I'm going to delve into really in a second, but there is a point of diminishing returns in terms of recovery and risk of stress on the heart. We assume everybody's healthy, but of course we want to always keep this balance. So we generally recommend, and it's sort of accepted to recommend that a, a really true high intensity interval training should probably not be done every day. And I generally go by the rule of thumb that it is generally three, maximum four, every other day type of thing so that your body physiologically has time to recover. So doing two hits back to back, yeah, that's okay. But then when we get that third one in, so sometimes people say, I only have three days to get cardio and I'm going to do all three of my hits. I'm like, "Eh, let's see if we can spread it out. Just because we do need recovery. That's an essential part of any type of training and cardio is the same thing. So then we look at other types of cardiovascular training or cardio. And another one that I'm going to go into is one that often people think is hit, but it's really, it's hit with one eye. So it's high intensity training. And what that basically means is that your heart rate is up the whole time. It's like 85 to 90% the whole time. And that's very stressful for your body. It has a time and place. And for some athletes who have to do a lot of what we call anaerobic training, it is an important thing. So for hockey players, basketball players, tennis players, you have to learn how to engage that high intensity and possibly keep it higher longer. Because if you're that basketball player and you're playing and you're you know really in a little squabble there and you're going for a while, you need to train your system that way. Is it the most effective for fat loss and for all of that? Not by itself, no. And it should be treated very cautiously. And we do that a lot with some of our functional training. It's a little bit more high intensity training to train you as a complete athlete that way. And those again should be short duration, but they can be, they can really push you as you get to be a better conditioned athlete. Do you want to add anything in there? Yeah, I just want to say real quickly, I don't think we discussed what anaerobic means, just so people know that when they are in that zone of that, like above the the 85%, that that means that your body is running without oxygen. And so it's not really the healthiest or safest thing for your system to be in that zone for a very long period of time. Exactly. And your body won't let you. If you stay in it too long, you know what happens? You You pass pass out. out. Yeah, you pass out. And this is where sometimes people will push themselves really hard and then they'll complete throw up or they'll 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 black out. Exactly. Or they'll black out. And everybody's had that experience where they've done that, you know, they've kind of pushed themselves a little too far. And our goal is never to have you do that, but you probably will. Yeah, (laughs) honestly, sometimes it sometimes it happens because and those are the times where we realize that how powerful the mind is, because you truly can push your body very far if you mentally are in that zone. It doesn't just happen like 
without you really trying. And so a lot of times it happens when your systems are already a little bit shook by doing a lot of activity, or maybe you are just, you're just kicking ass and you just don't really realize how hard you're actually working. So a lot of times that happens when you don't even know, like, I don't think a lot of people go into it saying, I'm going to make myself pass out during this workout. And it kind of happens. And that is your body basically saying, yo, slow down or else I'm going to make you. I'm going to stop you literally. In your yeah, yeah, right. And so, th- so throwing up or passing out during a workout or even afterwards is a good indication that you're maybe going a little bit too hard and need to take more rest. And I think that one of the problems with, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a strength for some of these athletes that do push to the brink. And that's how you, you know, sometimes improve by really pushing your body a little bit past your limits. But there's, we have the ability to progressively overload even cardiovascularly without getting to that point. So just take a little check yourself on how hard you're working. And you don't need to get to that point. Exactly. But that's another situation where you're watching your heart rate. And if you look down, you're going, Oh, you know, I'm 180 beats per minute, and I'm not feeling great. Maybe 180 beats per minute is above where you need to be working. There's also a big difference in an anaerobic capacity. I'll talk about this very briefly with a person who is just starting out or who has not been exercising for a while. Cardiovascular conditioning actually changes pretty rapidly with, so you know, when you first start working out the first couple of times, you're like, you're literally sucking wind, but then pretty quickly, if you stick with it, you're going to adapt and your body will start to be more effective. So your ability to take in more oxygen and process more oxygen, that's called the max VO2 may start out at a low level, but as you get better conditioned, your max VO2 will go up. Now, there are some people who, again, genetically have great max VO2s and other people, their max VO2s just don't go very far. So this often will be people who say, well, I I really struggle to get my heart rate up or my heart rate doesn't go up. So we kind of look at that as a a training parameter and and to watch what happens and see. Um, So it can be very introspective to see and, and kind of look at how you feel on that. That was a really great point out for bringing that up. So that's important. Moving on to some of the other spectrums of cardio, then we start to get a little bit fuzzy and everybody's got their own little quirky terms. I call it low intensity, steady state or low intensity interval training. They both mean the same thing to me. It basically means you're given a certain period of time to work out. And you know, my definition of that is any place between 65 and 85%, have some fun with it, you know, go faster at every course to your favorite song, go slower when it, you know, but you're working within a realm and, and that for training wise, again, it, it training you a little bit more aerobically so that you can actually improve your cardiovascular conditioning for a little bit more of that endurance factor. Why would we even use that if you're not training for an endurance of that, obviously to burn more calories, but also it does help you in your resistance training programs because there is a period uh, or there is um, an aspect of cardiovascular endurance involved in lifting weights. And so if you're doing eight reps, if you're doing 15 reps, you know, you're probably going to be exerting for between 30 and 60 seconds during that phase. That becomes a little bit of an endurance factor. You definitely do not want to be going into that high level when you're resistance training. So you may need to temper back. 
because when you're lifting weights, you need as much oxygen going to your muscles as possible. So you do not want to be working anaerobically if your goal is strength training, resistance training. So remember that they do separate, but even when you're lifting, you are doing some cardiovascular training. So this is where it gets a little confusing because some people in their training programs will say, ah, you know, my coach has me doing no cardio, but then we have to look at what are you doing for your other training? And maybe some of that cardiovascular training is happening in there. Any comments you want to make on that, Elle? No, I think you really nailed that. Okay. It's short and sweet on that one because that's a big one. And there seems to be, and it's great. You know, I believe me, I have been in many times in my life, been team no cardio. I've been many times in my life where I'm team lots of cardio because I will have different goals and I will have need for me as an athlete to be training my body, utilizing all of the techniques. And also knowing that my body, I have some some health limitations or health considerations that I can manipulate my cardio and still be effective, even if I have some limitations. So, you know, keeping that into perspective as to what is cardio, it's not as simple as, you know, go out and just run or just jump rope, or it's not for the majority of people, especially if you're listening to this, you are probably very focused on a particular goal. And so that's where really trying to match what your goals are, what your body is capable of doing and what, what you have expectations on what you can achieve. Right. And if you are somebody who is listening to this, who has very specific physique goals and who is already dialed in on their nutrition and their training, and they're just trying to, you know, fine tune it with some of the specific cardio, that's great. But if you do have somebody who is trying to get some knowledge about how to use cardio or just exercise in general to their best advantage. One thing that if you are listening to this and you're somebody who is just trying to understand it and get into fitness a little bit more, sometimes just getting up and doing more is going to be the first step to you seeing some results. So although we did throw the past 45 minutes, a lot of different terms at you and a lot of different things just pushing yourself a little bit past your typical zone. So if you're somebody who, yeah, maybe you do have a pretty active job, but you still are looking to lose some weight, do get a heart rate monitor and then be sure that, you know, at 10 to 20 to 30 minutes a day, you are doing a little bit of that interval training where you're just pushing that heart rate a little bit higher than your normal, I guess I'll use it in this way, maintenance level heart rate. So like where your heart rate usually is throughout the day, over and over again, just push it a little bit past it. And that will help your body to utilize some of your, I guess, your oxygen in a different way and push your body in a different way. Yes, exactly. And I, and I do want to just mention one other little thing about heart rate monitors. One of the features of heart rate monitors is that they will tell you your total calories burned during a time. And that's a fun, quote unquote, fun, depends on how you look at it, number to use as a piece of information. I guess that's the biggest thing because there's a lot of factors that go into what the estimation is on what your calorie burn is for that. So use it as sort of a baseline and say, oh, because I play games with that. I'll say, oh, you know, my goal is to burn 200 calories during this period of time. And, and then you find out your friend is doing the same workout and your friends burn 350 calories for the same workout. And then you're like, dang, I was like working real hard. You know what? 
age has a factor on calorie burns, body size, gender, and your heart rate response. So only look at your heart rate and calorie burn for you specifically. Don't start to get all caught up on what other people's heart rate monitors are telling them that they're burning, If especially if you do the same exercise. So it can drive you crazy. I know. I've worked out with people who are eight inches taller than me and they're burning 700 calories in a 45 minute workout. And I'm over here burning like 265. I'm like, okay. So you definitely can't compare. And that's the same thing that no matter what, through every single phase of your fitness journey, whether it's nutrition, how many calories you're eating and seeing X results, you cannot compare yourself to anybody else. And that's the hardest thing is that you think, well, I heard all this stuff about this amount of cardio is bad. And I should be doing like Joe was saying before, like team no cardio and like someone's eating 300 grams of carbs and doing no cardio and they're seeing progress faster than you are. The problem is, is that like everybody's body is so different and everybody's goals are going to be, you know, towards whichever direction that they want to go. But it doesn't mean that you'll be doing the same plan as somebody else because your body's going to respond completely differently. And it's hard. It definitely is hard to, you you definitely will get caught up in what other people are doing and saying. And the biggest thing is just to stick to your own plan for a little while and be consistent with it and always be aware of the things that the variables that are changing, but try not to change too many things at once. And I think that that is a bigger problem is that when someone sees something's not working after three, four days, they're like, okay, well, that's definitely not it. And it's, and oftentimes it's just, you're not giving yourself enough time. You're not being consistent enough and you're not taking care of all the little things that need to happen in order to actually see progress. Because crazy enough, seeing progress is actually pretty difficult. You have to be pretty on top of every single thing that you're doing in order to see a massive amount of progress. And patience. You know, people don't understand, you know, if you burn 200 calories in your workout, you know, and then you're like, oh, I've been to the gym and I've worked out and I haven't changed my food and I've burned 200 calories seven days. You know, that's only 1400 calories. So I wouldn't expect if you've changed nothing else that you're going to have a big change. So you do need to let time and, and let these things accumulate to let your physiology change. So if you're moving along and you're not sure if the cardio is appropriate and, you know, there's, you could get a lot of information out there on Google, but it can be very overwhelming and very consuming, time consuming and confusing. So this is where, you know, I was going to say working with a coach who knows what your goals are and can give you an overview and give you the plan. And then you can just kind of stick to it and then evolve it as your body changes because your fitness level even where you are now versus in two weeks is going to be different based on, did you do anything? How hard you work? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just a lot of factors. So, yeah, I will say that the, the more common thing is that people think that by hiring a coach is going to make everything so much easier, but you actually have to put in the work that the coach is suggesting. So just that the fact that you have a plan doesn't mean that the results are going to come. You really have to follow it or, extended periods of time. We've had both Jules and I have had very successful clients who have been with us for two months and seen great results or four years and seen great results. But it's always going to be a matter of whether you're ready to commit to it because you can have a plan, but if you are not mentally ready to commit and you're not physically actually doing the work, you won't see the results. And so it's a very difficult thing to push against your body's natural comfortable state, especially if you are someone who 
has struggled with weight loss or struggle with being consistent, it does take a lot and it takes a lot of patience. So if you're feeling frustrated and you're feeling like you just can't seem to get it, hiring a coach can be really beneficial and being open and honest with the coach about what you're struggling with. It doesn't have to be just about nutrition. It could be about social events. It could be about other things that are going on. If you find the right match for a coach, they'll for sure be able to help you. I just wanted to, I guess, wrap up with just, or not wrap up, we may have more to talk about, but I did want to talk a little bit about food and cardio because there are a couple of myths and a couple of situations that I I know we could probably spend an entire hour on, but two big things. One thing that I, I often am told by clients is if I do cardio, I get really hungry. And I know that that can be very, very true because you are pushing your body to trigger different hormonal responses. And if you're doing a lot of cardio, you very well might have your appetite stimulated. So this is where I often will, with even with some of our clients, that if they start to mention that they are uncontrollably hungry, that I will look at the cardio and think about how we can change it up. So we may not sort of tip that hunger hormone level. And a lot of times people will become that hamster on the treadmill kind of thing. And they go to the gym day after day after day. So they burn lots of calories, but then they go home and they overeat because the cardio has actually caused them to be a little more hungry. But also that some, just the right amount of cardio can actually be an appetite suppressant. So I, as a coach, often will try to listen to the client in terms of, you know, ask them like, what is your hunger level? When does it happen? Tell me a little bit. And sometimes we have to modulate the type of cardio to help with the hunger so that they can go on and continue on with their nutrition, especially if they're in the the body fat burning phases and trying to lean out. So that is something that a lot of times people will just ignore it, especially if people have a tendency to feel very fragile with their appetite they're doing a lot of cardio, they end up eating a lot, and then they end up doing more cardio because they feel guilty. So with our clients, we're always like, please just do the cardio we're telling you to do. Don't do more. Don't do more. more. (laughs) And then if the appetite is still out of control, let's talk about how we can modulate. Don't try to offset what maybe you overconsumed with doing more cardio. It really becomes this vicious circle. This is how even we talked about this and probably one of our most popular episodes, which is the binge eating episode, which I think that if you have ever experienced binge eating or currently experiencing binge eating, that is an amazing episode that you should listen to. I'll I'll even put the link in the show notes for you guys to go back and refer to because I still think it's one of our best episodes. But it's where we just discussed that if you do end up overeating, you have to go back to normal. You can't, you have to go back to your normal plan, start the next meal that or the next day starting over because you will get into that cycle of being like, oh, well, I overate, so I have so much more energy. I'll go do cardio and burn it off. And then the cycle just continues. So that's why Jules and I will always say, nope, don't do more. Don't do more. Nope. We're not cutting your calories until we can stop with the binge eating because cutting calories after you binge eat is not going to help you in any any single way. It's just going to probably make you you know, need to binge eat even more. And the same goes for, for just cardio in general. You hear it all the time, but you can't out-train a bad diet. And by bad diet, we just mean like if you're eating in a caloric surplus and then 
trying to burn it all off, the body's not going to lose the weight or lose the body fat that you're hoping that it will. Yes, exactly. And there are, I have numerous times had people who are struggling with binge eating. I have removed cardio and said, we need to, you know, get your hunger cues back into sync. And then the last thing, which is so, I think it's starting to become a little less frequently asked of me is fasted cardio. I think maybe the message is finally getting out there that fasted cardio for the majority of people, it does not provide for you any fat burning benefit. But if you like fasted cardio and you can get that cardio done on a fasted state and you feel good, some people just feel better training cardiovascular on an empty stomach, more power to you, go for it. But it is not necessarily going to give you any better or faster results because you should always do cardio when you have the greatest energy to do it and you can put your focus in on what the task is, what the training purpose is for the cardio and how you're going to go about it. Think about it. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, I have no trouble going and doing my weightlifting, but I get to the cardio and I just want to walk away. But take a look at the cardio as being part of that other part of that training. It is part of it. So you have to treat it as just another segment of your training. Yeah, I do find that a lot of people will say, I love lifting. And then towards the end of my lift, I get in like a really bad mood because I know that I have to go do cardio at the end of it. So for someone who has the time and the flexibility, uh, separating your cardio and your weight training sessions for like cardio in the morning and weight training at night may be beneficial for you. Definitely. We didn't talk about this, but I definitely don't suggest doing cardio before your weight training. Um, just because if you are trying to build lean muscle and lose body fat, you want to have the absolute most energy for your weight training. And we don't really want any of that being zapped before you step into the weight room. So a 10 minute warm up, sure, that's fine. You know, you can warm up just your whole system by doing a little bit of cardio, like walking on a treadmill or some light elliptical, but separating the cardio will be more beneficial for you or doing your cardio post workout. Exactly. You know, there are situations where cardio before the work before the resistance training is appropriate, but for the majority of people with the goals of losing body fat, it's really the way that I'll explain it, doing the cardio after the resistance training, because you definitely, the energy exchange that you need to do the resistance training in the muscles is very short term. It's like lift and lower, lift and lower kind of thing versus the repetitive, the cyclical type of thing. And I know that there are people who have much more specific questions and, and lots of detailed questions. And so I would love if people, you could even make the comments, ask the questions, you know, on the podcast and we can hopefully maybe answer them that way too. Yeah, I'll put out a post for Q and A's every once in a while. I like to do we that. We need do some Q and A. Yeah, for sure. Because you guys always come up, you know, we, we tried to give the, the big perspective here. And I tried to give you a little bit of insight on some of my perspectives as a coach in how I utilize some of the different cardios. For a, a lot of our clients, cardio can be boring. So sometimes I will make up a particular type of cardio to keep some variety. And I'm a big fan of, I call it the cardio diet, quote unquote, which it should be varied. And you should vary it by the type of cardio. You should vary it by the type of body movements that you do and vary it on the frequency and duration. So all those different factors can make up the quote unquote cardio diet, but that's a component of the big picture. So yeah, you know, cardio is cool. We're going to say cardio is cool. 
totally cool. Totally, totally cool. so much fun. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so we're gonna wrap it up though. We've been blabbing for a while, and Quinn's snoring. She's clearly very. Oh, bored you can of hear her. Yeah. Oh, I can hear her. Yeah, I don't know if doing... anybody else can over. We'll catch you guys next week with another podcast, and we can't wait to hear what you guys think about this one. So, thanks for listening, and maybe a little update on our own. We'll talk on a our bit preps. On mm. our preps. Yeah. All right. Happy prepping. Happy prepping. Bye.